With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Play USA. Thanks to Education USA, your official source on U.S. higher education, providing programs and resources to help you get to a U.S. college. Search online for Education USA Australia. Welcome to another episode of Play USA, our eighth edition of the year, all thanks to Education USA Australia. Now, in this episode, we catch up with Brisbane's Chen Dong. He's in his senior year at Louisiana State University. We also catch up with his coach, Danny Bryan, who also played at LSU. He played alongside uh, Michael Venus from New Zealand and Neil Skupski uh, from Great Britain. Both players are top 20 in the world in doubles. So we, we get an insight from Chen on his uh, collegiate journey from his freshman year all the way to his senior year. He was a transfer from Georgia Tech uh, to LSU. And also coach Danny Bryan gives us a great insight uh, on getting to college and what you can really experience and get out of the collegiate journey. So we'll now turn you over to our chat with Chen Dong. Why did you choose the college pathway? Obviously, you started at Georgia Tech and then transferred to LSU. But what was so appealing about the college pathway? And how did you eventually get to college? And how did you eventually get to LSU? College was one way to get a degree and train at the same time pretty hard. Um, I think that's like really hard to find around the world. Like, I don't think there's any other pathway where you can consistently study and train for like four years in a row. And I think you can also build up really good physical conditions for yourself. Um, like this summer, I've been hitting the gym like five days a week. I feel like I've gotten a lot stronger and fitter. Whereas if you were to travel around the world and play at tournaments, I don't think you would have as much time to get your body ready tour and it's also like a kind of a fallback plan you know just in case tennis doesn't work out you do have a degree in something you're training every day and as you were saying the physical conditioning is so much more compared to what if you're going to do this at home what does the fall schedule look like for you in terms of your training and academic load so i would imagine on like a weekly basis we'd probably have some days where we have to wake up at five and maybe go for a run or hit the gym or play, ten- play tennis before school starts. And after school finishes, we'd all have like like a group tennis session. If there's a tournament around, I think there's a 25K and a 15K in the U.S. around September. Maybe a few of us would go there, play some matches. But yeah, fall is more kind of individual based rather than team. And, and what are some of the fall tournaments? I know you play those ITA indoor tournaments. Going into August and September, it's still really hot in, in Baton Rouge compared to many other parts of the country like Virginia or Massachusetts. But how does it all map out before the spring season starts? Yeah, so there is a few ITA tournaments. I've never really did too well in them. I've always started out in like pre qualies You play like four matches, you get to qualies, you got to win three matches, then you can get the main draw. I think that was a bit too much for me. <laughs> I always kind of like lost second round or third round of pre qualies It's just 
really individual based you know like you're just more focused on yourself i guess trying to get your ranking up the spring it's more like about the team the conference when you played in the spring i know you said you didn't do as well in in the fall but um there was one match that i watched um i drove down to where i am in jackson mississippi and you played against Connor Thompson, who at the time you were unranked and he was ranked five in the country. And as we know, anyone ranked in the top 20 at least goes into qualies or into main draw with the accelerator program. That's after they graduate. So, yeah. you know, Connor just played Wimbledon doubles with Toby Samuel and you beat him. Uh, I think it was seven, five in the third. And, and from what I was watching, I mean, you were playing incredible tennis against him. So do, do you feel like, I mean, the standard is so strong that everyone is so similar in, in standard it seems like if you're unranked or if you're top 10 in the country it, you know, it really doesn't sort of matter that much so what are those things yeah. that really come into play in beating a player like that yeah i mean it's a dog fight to get to to get ranked you know i think after that win i was like ranked 80 90 for about a week and then right after that it's just like i kind of got like unranked but i think like the thing that separates like a top 20 to like a top 90 um would just have to be their their consistency i think like my coach always tells me like you gotta train exactly the same way on days you feel terrible because it's just it has to be <laughs> you said it i don't know i forgot the word he said it was like it, it just has to be the same like <laughs> you can't have good days or bad days like your bad days have to be kind of similar to your good days like like the pros, you know, you can't tell if Alcaraz or Djokovic are ever having a bad day. They just play exactly the same. I think it's kind of similar for college as well. I think you rarely see like like a really good player in the top twenties like show any negative emotion. When I spoke to Alex Vukic, he was saying the same thing for the ATP tour that the standard is so similar, but it's just that consistency and i think what your coach danny bryan was what he tells you guys is is so true i mean the standard yeah. is you know you've got to be consistent week in week out and that's synonymous with the atp and wta tour as well now i've got to yeah. ask you chen so you started at georgia tech you transferred to lsu georgia tech's in the atlantic coast conference which is a power five conference as is the sec so do you mm-hmm. feel like there are a lot of similarities between the two conferences in terms of the training structures at college and also the tournament schedules as well. Yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities. I've heard SEC conferences are kind of tougher. I mean, I can I can see that there's like schools like Georgia and Florida who are consistently at the top. But on the other hand, you do have like North Carolina who are who produce players like Rinky. Will Blumberg, who was like 10-time All-American. Um, I think, yeah, the, the conferences, in terms of level, I would say maybe the SEC probably has the upper edge, but it's like barely noticeable. And the way we train, I think it's pretty similar. At Tech, we used to like gym, what, three days a week. Here, we probably gym a bit more. I think we do put slightly more hours into our training. That probably could be a... a kind of an academic thing where we do need to go back and study. I was like kind of failing so many courses here at, at Tech. Yeah, it's kind of kind of a reason why I had to uh, transfer as well. Georgia Tech is very tough academically. Obviously, being at LSU, most of the funding does come from football. LSU and Alabama are the rivals and they've been in the top 10 in the country for the last 10 to 15 
years. So I'm, I'm sure some of that funding that actually filters through the football programs and diverses out to all the other athletic programs, yeah. I'm sure it definitely helps. And even looking at the LSU tennis complex, when I watched you guys play South Carolina, it was one of the best indoor facilities that I've ever seen. Um, and I'm yeah, sure that I think we have one of the best facilities in the in the nation. <laughs> yeah, I was I was like training out here, and my dad was like, he's saying how thankful he was. We had like six indoor courts with like air conditioning and stuff. I was like, yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> but yeah, you can definitely notice a a big rise in the funding we get. Just all the little stuff accumulates, such as like you know, like sports drinks stocked in the fridge every day. You know all the different protein shakes stuff like that i think it it kind of does make a difference but at the same time i'm like kind of getting spoiled by that <laughs> everything's just handed to me on a silver platter so yeah there's, there's ups and downs it depends on how you take it i guess and you're at baton rouge at the moment you're doing your summer classes summer schedule and that's very different to what of a students in australia would be doing you know over the australian christmas summer break yeah. you know we're on, we're on hold until the next year but how's the whole uh, summer schedule looking for you and why did you take summer classes um so when i transferred i had like 60 hours of credits just that didn't transfer for so straight away i was on like i was pretty much on a pathway that i couldn't graduate so my advisor told me, he was like, all right, in order to make this work, you have to take 18 hours in the spring, 12 hours in the summer, 18 hours in the fall, and there were six in the winter or something. And I was like, okay. And I was like, all right, all right, we can do this. <laughs> and then, so yeah, that's why I had to take four classes this summer. It, was, it wasn't as bad. They split into two sessions. So I took uh, first session, I had computer science and statistical engineering. Uh, I did pretty well in them, A and B. For this session, I had physics and construction management. The physics was, it was tough. I mean, I hadn't taken physics in like two years and I was struggling for a bit, but I did end up with a B plus and an A in the other class. But yeah, other than that, in terms of tennis-wise, he had, I probably worked my hardest this summer than I have in my entire life. I think it's just the uh kind of the last year buyer, you know, I have one more year to prove to myself that, you know, maybe I can get ranked solidly. And plus if I'm a senior, every freshman coming in would kind of need someone to look up to. Granted we do have five or six five seniors in this year. They're gonna have plenty of people to look up to. But I do want to be one of those people that would show them if you work hard, you could get some results, and it's just as simple as that. Well, no pressure, but I'm ex definitely expecting big things. Um, hopefully, I can get down to uh, Baton Rouge, watch a match, or if you guys play Mississippi State or Ole Miss, um, yeah. traveling up north would be good to watch. Definitely a fellow Aussie uh, in action as well. So all the best for the fall, and yeah. um, good luck Thank with you. the rest of your exams. Thank you. A big thank you to Chen for coming on our Play USA podcast. We wish him all the best uh, for the fall season and, of course, going over onto the spring. We now turn you over to our chat with Coach Danny Bryant. College has come you know, a long way in, in years and, and in recent times. It's not really that much of a, a fallback plan anymore, but it's more of a transition onto the ATP and WTA tour. What differences do you feel as a player yourself who played at LSU and now as a coach at LSU, what do you feel like the big differences tactically, mentally, 
physiologically between uh, collegiate players, high division one players, and those who are on the tour? In, in my experience with some of the guys who have ended up going on, it's just a lot of it's mental, you know, where they're at, the, the maturity level, how professional they are, you know, how they uh, have learned how to give their best when they're on the court and make every second count and then repeat it day after day. Um, and I think that's well, a lot of the guys that come into college, you know, they can have these great days, but they can also have some days that aren't so great. And I think it's about them learning how to eliminate those is really the, the key. And then obviously just getting the experience, being in different situations, those kind of things. I think that that's where it really separates um, learning how to play under pressure, right? Like I think a lot of guys come into college and um, they never played on a team. And then all of a sudden they get in these situations where, they're, they're deal, they, they feel different things in, you know, inside themselves that they've never felt before, and they have to learn how to, to deal with them. And I think the and, and how they play best and what, what patterns and whatnot that um, they can really trust in those moments. And I think that a pro has, has been in that situation a lot, and uh, they, they handle it you know, better than the college guys. And players like Michael Venus, Neil Skupski, who you played with as well, they're top 20 in the world in doubles. What do you think? feel like LSU does or has done as a, as a program to elevate those players to the next level? And, and what is LSU doing now to get the current players onto that next level in terms of the facility and, and the programming and the whole uh, athletic scheduling? Well, I mean, I think, I think just for, for those guys, uh, almost all the credit's got to go to them. You know, let, let's take Mike Venus first. Um, someone who, when he came to LSU, um, had a, the, the, the strong, really strong desire to be the best player he could possibly be. Like, uh, guy hated to lose, um, almost hated to lose too much at, at the time where he, he didn't know how to handle it, how much he wanted to win and how much of a perfectionist um, he was. And But, you know, he's playing, you know, when you play at LSU, you're playing against the best players in the country. You're in big time matches where, like, what I was talking about was like just dealing with pressure and getting that, those experiences. Uh, I think really helped him. But ultimately, where Mike is now um, and where he was at LSU is a completely different place for, in, in a mental standpoint because he had that desire which he obviously need. And uh, through, uh, you know, just his effort and, and basically just trying to get better each day, he has now, you know, turned into someone who uh, knows how to uh, he knows himself better, I would say, uh, and can still use to his advantage his desire, but also knows when he needs to think, take things into perspective. And uh, and some days you just need to say, okay, this is a good day. And I, um, so he's been way more consistent. Um, with Neil, Neil was, uh, I would say, he was definitely more raw when he came down with you. Um, hadn't developed uh, his practice habits um, that well and actually probably a little bit lower level than most of the guys that we bring in to LSU, but he had that talent and he's just someone who was extremely coachable. And so he was, uh, he, he just steadily improved. And then, you know, he, he's someone who I think wasn't burned out when he came to college. Uh, and he really saw that you know, really felt his best tennis was ahead of him and, and really came to college with the idea that it was going to help him, you know, play professional tennis where I think some guys are trying to play professional tennis as a junior and then they go to college and it's like, oh, I didn't make it. I think Neil's all in like, you know, a different way from the beginning and uh, he's, he's just good to get better. Players like Neil and Michael come into the program, even players now, in, in terms of 
recruitment, obviously with UTR and uh, the WTN that has become quite popular, especially amongst, you know, the ITF. And, and that wasn't something that you would have dealt with going into college. I certainly didn't use that system. It wasn't really around much then, but is that something that's really important as a college coach to recruit players? And do you want players to be at a certain UTR or can they be a little bit lower and then you're like, okay, well, maybe in one year when they actually commit to LSU, um, they're going to be a lot higher than what I'm looking at now. So, I mean, UTR, we use it, but it's not the uh, the most important thing. I think it's a good measure of like who you should potentially be looking at and they have to be in a range. Like, to, But, you know, on the other hand, like you take a guy like Neil. Um, so Ken, his brother, played with me for, we were the same year, all four years and then my first year, there's a gap, one year gap. And then my first year's assist, assistant coach was when Neil came to college. And I believe that we were the only school that recruited him, that no one knew about him. And the only reason why we knew about him is because of Ken. And so Coach Brown, Jeff Brown, who's head coach at the time, he saw Neil hitting one time when he came to visit LSU and was like, okay, this guy can develop. And so I, I, I sometimes wonder, you know, because his UTR might have been, who knows what his UTR would have been? It probably would have been like a 10 UTR or something like that. And I just wonder if uh, I would have had the uh, awareness to, to realize, like Coach Brown did, that this guy's going to end up being really good pretty quick. So I think that we all have to be careful as coaches when we're recruiting to not get too, you know, look too much into the, uh, the UTR. Because like you said, I mean, a guy could have a big serve, big forehand, just quite doesn't quite hasn't put it together yet. You know, shot selection or something like that. And, and maybe they're a little lower than we want, but it doesn't take much and they can make a huge jump. But I, I, I do think that with all that being said, that with UTR, it's just so you can you can basically say, all right, like for us, you know, we're uh, if someone's an 11 UTR, it's probably a little bit too low for us, especially if they've been playing a ton. If they haven't been playing, then I think you need to look more into it. But if they're, it, it gives us an idea of who we should be recruiting. But I don't, I, I am aware that we don't need to just go, hey, this guy's a 13 3. I could choose between a 13 3 and a 13 1, and I need to take the 13 3. He's obviously better. I, I, I think that would be um, looking into it too much. Because he, here in Australia, they have scrapped the whole ranking system that, you know, I grew up playing and, and many others and they've replaced it with the UTR system. So, yeah. you know, if you lose matches, but the score, you score highly against, you know, it could be like a 6-3, 6-3, 6-4, 6-4 loss to someone who's an entire point, point and a half, two points above you, your UTR goes up despite you, you know, losing the match. And, and so many juniors are getting caught up with the whole UTR system. Right. So, and it's good to hear that, you know, as a college coach that, yeah, it's, it's a range of players who we can look at recruiting, but it's not the whole end-all game. You know, this player, and as you were saying with, with Neil coming in, you saw him, he was seen hitting rather than having a number, which obviously they didn't have back then when, when he played. Right. And I think Australia, you, you guys have it tough as well because you're ultimately, you don't have that many players from Australia playing, let's say, kids from Europe or kids from the US. So you're not, you're kind of on your own little thing. So I think that Australia, in my opinion, from what I've seen, the Australian players, their UTR is a little bit lower than what they end up being when they come to college. And I would say sometimes the European juniors are a little bit higher. And then when they come in, they go down a little bit. I mean, everyone's different, but that's just kind of what I've seen. I think it's tough. And it's tough for us as coaches with, with the Australian uh, juniors because, you know, 
you're you're still uh, either having to go to Australia or you know when you're talking about we get these videos right like and it's like yeah. uh yeah you could see a guy hits but man you can't really see who he's hitting against and what that ball looks like and how heavy that ball is and you don't really get many opportunities to see him compete so you can't it, it, it's really a you know in, in my situation right now i feel like it's a risky play unless i have some really strong uh, recommendations from someone I trust a lot on a player's level. And I, I don't know necessarily how to change it. Um, you know, obviously it's just a long way uh, away. And I, I would say like, you know, for some of the Australian guys is, can you get to tournaments outside of Australia? Because yeah, I mean, the fact of the matter is just to get into the game sometimes with some of the college coaches, you do need to have a certain UTR for them to start looking at you. And it's, that's one of the big issues in Australia, just where we are geographically located. You know, it's so far from the U.S., from South America, from Europe for those players to travel. So a lot of these kids coming out of high school, they actually don't have as much international competitive experience compared to a lot of the European players and, and the American players. And as you were saying with the video, you know, it's, it's a risk because you're not seeing how much spin they have or who they're playing against. I mean, you, you know, you're right on, on the money there, but, and I'm sure with a player like Chen Dong, who's going to go into his senior year at, at LSU. I mean, he was a transfer from Georgia tech. So obviously you had a lot more knowledge of what he's done just because he's close by. And also on, on that note with other podcasts and, and speaking to other Australian players, they've had college coaches who have visited Australia and they've seen them play and then they've taken visits. But obviously that's, not always easy to do just with being so far away from everywhere else. Right. Yeah. So with Chen, but, but also Chen played ITFs, you know, as a junior. So, and then, yeah, I obviously knew what his level was and we did take a chance on him a little bit last year off of his results. When I got hired last, um, a year ago, June, we had one returning starter and on the uh, roster here at LSU. So, I, I needed players. And so um, that was a quick, that was a, definitely a quick recruitment with Chen. Um, but I did see that, you know, his results, obviously in the ACC, which is a great conference uh, here in the U.S. And then also I knew about him um, as a junior. So I, I knew his level was, I could trust his level. Um, yeah, with the Australian guys, I, so like Chen and the three or four guys that are playing full-time ITFs, like, I, I feel like I have a pretty good idea what their level is by their UTR. But it's the guys, and there's so many players in the U.S. like this too, and, and they have an advantage. But uh, that they go to a regular school and they don't play tournaments, you know, full time. And so there's so many players that are really good in that situation. But those are the ones where you're like, man, he's a one or two UTR in Australia. What is that? You know, what's his real level? And you know, if he starts playing tournaments all the time, where's he going to move? Or if he, you know, you, you need to know so much because, for example, you could have some guys where they're practicing and they, they might be the best player uh, in their area and they're not getting great competition in practice all the time. So, like, all right, when they come here, they're going to be playing with our, our guys and they're going to have tons of competition. And, you know, wh where can their game go? Um, so, yeah, you, you have to factor all that in. I, I think – my advice would just be to, to make sure you're giving college coaches the uh, if you do have a lower UTR than what you think your actual level is, is to give them as much info as possible because um, that that is 
very important. The, the, the one, the one thing I always find funny is that I'll have, I mean, I get these emails all the time. It's, it's over and over again, where you have someone who they know when they're writing the ECR team, UTR. And then, so let's just say like, they're like a, a 10, five, um, which is, which is pretty far below uh, um, what our starters, you know, starting lineups at. And they're selling me on the fact that they're a hard worker and they practice six hours a day. And I always just laugh at that. Cause I'm like, well, if you're already practicing that hard, like why, why, what am I going to do to help you? Like, I want the guy who is from Australia, who is only able to practice twice a, you know, two hours a day and has been going to school full time and maybe played a played rugby, you know, a, a third of the year or something. And Hey, once they come here, like, yeah, they're 10, five by doing all that. Once they come here, Hey, this guy might break out. It's like the complete opposite. And so it's just, a, it's one of those things that always cracks me up. So it's that rate of improvement that you feel like your tennis program can give to that player to get him from a, you know, maybe an 11-5 to a 12-5, even up to a 13. And, and I'm sure that there's also, that you also want that player to fit in with the whole team culture as well. And I know every program has a different sort of culture, but I'm sure that's pretty important when you uh, recruit players as well. So sort of, so they can really bring something else to the team. 100%. And it's... uh it's difficult. You know, there's so many players we're recruiting um, throughout the world and we're, you know, we're, we're on the road a lot, myself and my assistant, Sebastian Ray, and we're trying to see guys multiple times, you know, um, even this year, you know, just to, to think about some of the guys I've seen at one tournament where I see something and, and you know, maybe I'm excited about them. And then I go to the next turn, I'm able to see them two, three times and then I'm like, whoa, you know, I, I see him in a different environment. It's, it's, it's not as good. And it's, it's so important, like you said, to bring in the right guys. Um, because though you're on the, you know, your individual court, it is a team. It's a, you know, you need guys that are going to, you know, embrace that part of uh, college tennis. It, it's just tricky. It's tricky. And, and sometimes we make mistakes. Um, and, but ultimately, we got to do uh, recruit as hard as we can, get as much info as we can on everyone we bring in, because just one guy can really bring down the whole, the whole team. So that's an ongoing battle all the time. Never stops trying to, trying to find the right guys. And those right guys, they've also got to be able to, to sustain the academic load, athletic load, being on court, strength and conditioning. Are there other athletic services and facilities that are available to these athletes other than on court and being in the gym? As far as okay, so we have like the you know the academic center for student athletes uh, at LSU, which is uh, phenomenal. Where they have tutors, um, mentors, they have all that. We have uh, psychologists. We have a team psychologist. Um, we have uh, nutritionists. We have you know we have a strength and conditioning coaches who's been working with tennis for roughly twenty five years, who, who only works with men's tennis and um, softball. So that's a that's a change uh, at LSU in the past six years where it used to be a, a GA who was, who was leaving that and um, was also probably working four or five sports. So you only had so much time you could work with, with the strength coach. Now it's completely different. We can do individualized sessions. We can do small groups. We can do it when it fits their schedule and their class schedule. So they don't have to wake up, you know, at 5 a.m. Um, to do it. Um, we have a new, uh, for athletes, we have a nutrition center. That's a huge change for us from before where, it's uh, we have a chef that's that's cooking all these meals um, for the athletes. That's um, I mean, 
I, I go there pretty much every day for lunch. Uh, never get sick of it. It's like chicken, steak. Uh, we'll have lamb sometimes and it, salmon. It's, it's actually incredible. Um, so that that whole, you know, we have a ton of resources and, and ultimately it's uh, more professional um, than it's ever been um, in my opinion now. And in terms of that professionalism and regarding the whole structure that these athletes go through, do you feel like the NCAA, especially with Division One, obviously there's different guidelines, but is there an advantage playing Division Ones in terms of how many hours you can partake on court and in the gym compared to other divisions like D two, D three, yeah, NAIA? I'm, and... I'm not. Sure, I'm actually not sure about that. You know, we can do. Tw- we have 20 hours a week. Yeah. Um, that we can spend with the players, and and to be honest, if you're if you're working efficiently, I, I don't ever really feel like oh geez we we have to stop now because they do have a lot of other stuff going on, and you can get a lot done in 20 hours. And then you know we'll have some guys that are just extremely hard workers that are doing you know more on their own. But I'm not sure about uh, D2 or D3 on their um, the rules on uh, hourly, like uh, you know how many hours they can work. And that's a wrap for our latest edition of our Play USA podcast. A big thank you to both Chen and Coach Danny Bryan for giving their thoughts, their insights on the whole US uh, collegiate journey and also what it's like being a coach at such a top uh, SEC, Southeastern Conference uh, and National School. Tennis is a top five sport for Australian student athletes studying at US colleges and universities. The United States college system is a great fit for students who want to play their sport at a competitive level while studying for a degree. And Education USA can help you as you explore these options. Education USA is your official source on US higher education. In Australia, there are three uh, offices located at US consulates in Melbourne, Sydney, and Perth. With over 4,000 US colleges and universities to choose from, there will be one that meets your academic and athletic profile. Education USA provides programs and resources to help you get to a US college. Connect by searching online for Education USA Australia. That's a wrap for this episode. We look forward to bringing you our next edition, episode nine for our October edition. If you'd like to get more college action, more highlights, interviews, and much, much more, we post that uh, over our social media pages. Give us a follow, Instagram, Facebook, and X, formerly known as Twitter. We also have a college segment on our live uh, weekly Uh, radio program, The First Serve, which is on a Monday night from 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock Australian Eastern Standard Time. Just tune into an SEN AM frequency and you can catch all the action, all the college action as well. If you have any questions, uh, any thoughts, any queries, you can send us an email. We'd love to hear from you. The First Serve, SEN at gmail.com. We'll catch you next time. The First Serve is your home of tennis at thefirstserve.com.au. Log on to find out all the details of our live radio show, other podcasts, read weekly features by our team of writers and follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok and subscribe to our YouTube channel.